Welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. My name is David Kiley. I am Senior Editor at Wards Auto. Our first series of podcasts are going to all relate to one theme, the transition from an internal combustion engine-driven auto industry to one that is driven by electrification. It is a profound transition. Ford CEO Jim Farley, for example, has said that more will happen in the auto industry in the next 10 years than has happened in the last 60, and I'm inclined to agree with him. The Biden administration and the EPA has said pretty firmly that it wants to see 60% of new vehicle sales be electric vehicles or electrified by 2030. Now, if we're selling at a 16 million vehicle a year clip in 2030, that will mean, let's do some easy math, 9.6 million EVs a year by then. Is it possible? Now, I don't know anyone, if you hooked them up to a lie detector, who would say absolutely that we're going to reach that. Now, it's worth stating that the Biden target is just that, a target. It's not a mandate, not yet though the EPA is at with a proposed rule that would make it so if that rule is finalized as is currently worded. And of course, somebody else will be sitting in the White House in 2030, so we don't know what will happen to that rule. Indeed, if Biden is not reelected in 2024, there will be someone else in the White House in the critical period of 2024 to 2028 who could potentially change the whole picture at least from a regulatory standpoint. As the Republican Party, as a matter of policy and ideology, are not nearly as bullish on EVs as Biden's party, nor are they so bullish about government mandates of any kind. That's the drama for automakers and suppliers when you have a country that is so divided politically and on the topic of climate change and also what the government should and should not mandate. That said, Automakers and suppliers are planning globally, and the European Union and China also have their own targets and mandates, not to mention the state of California and the states that follow California's lead. Those regulations and rules all have to be met, and they are not dependent on the swings in American politics every four years or every two years if you're talking about which party controls the House of Representatives. Now, when we come back, I will be joined by Christy Schweinsberg, Ward's Intelligence Chief, EV and EV Infrastructure Analyst. And we're going to talk to set up the whole series of six episodes about this incredible transition from the internal combustion engine to electrification. Ward's Auto's podcast is brought to you by Ward's Intelligence. Ward's Intelligence provides trusted data, expert insight, and reliable forecasts into the automotive and auto tech industries. Renowned for their extensive current and historical data sets, pragmatic perspective, and industry-embedded analysts, it's easy to see why over 90% of their subscribers renew each year. To learn more about their market-leading automotive intelligence capabilities, head over to wardsintelligence.informa.com.
Joining me now to discuss some of the broad issues around this transition and help get us kicked off the right way on this uh, podcast series, Christy Schweinsberg. Christy is the Chief Analyst at Ward's Intelligence for Sustainability, and that also makes her our expert on EVs and EV infrastructure, among other topics. Thanks, David. I'm glad to be here. Can't wait. Yeah. So, I mean, you're really on the front end of this as Ward's Intelligence Sustainability uh, Analyst. And so you've been following the electrification um, and also the infrastructure issues. And and I should tell the audience, you'll be back at it for one of our other episodes in this series to talk with us about um, the infrastructure progress yeah. around, around. Yeah, actually, um, my my coverage of this predates my my current job. Uh, so I wrote about um, the Japanese and Korean automakers for over a decade, and of course Nissan was out there back in what was it, 2010 with the Leaf. Um, yeah, so I, think that's right. I go way back. I actually uh, leased three Chevy Volts. Well, we're going to be talking about uh, what future plugins might have. And uh, we'll be talking about that specifically with Jordan Choby of Toyota. He's in charge of uh, North American powertrain research and development. Um, the drive to EVs specifically is being driven by mandates from California, the feds, the EU, uh, the Biden target of 50% EV sales by 2030 but also a proposed rule by the EPA would mandate 60% of auto industry production uh, for the U.S. by 2030. Yeah, I would say 50% by 2030 is very ambitious and seems to not be based in reality. Um, It's one of those moonshot goals. But when you look at where we are today with, um, you know, actual sales of BEVs and BEV share of new vehicle sales, I think, what are we at, like 7% or something? Yeah. It's it's pretty low. Um, I don't think many analysts would say with confidence that more than half of new vehicles sold in seven years are going to hit that hit that target and be either battery electric or plug-in hybrid or fuel cell electric. It's a, it's a pretty astronomical jump. Now, that's a target, but the EPA proposed rule, if it went through as is currently uh, worded, that would be a mandate, right? Right, right. Um, but you're right. It's it's a proposal now. Um, and I believe even the California, you know, rule 20 of, 20 of uh, no internal combustion and nothing but BEVs, plug-in hybrids, or fuel cell electric vehicles for passenger cars after 2035, as far as new vehicle sales. I think that's not even, I think they still need an EPA waiver for that. Yeah, I mean that's that's something to keep in mind, but certainly directionally this is the you know most automakers are moving toward bevs either as part you know either as a huge share of their lineup or as an element of their of their vehicle lineup in the US. And that's because you're dealing in a global industry and it's not like the US is operating in a vacuum. You've got targets and mandates coming from the EU, from China, and so this, even with the vagaries and seesawing of American politics over these things, they still have to worry about the global industry and what the and, and particularly what the EU and China are doing, right? Correct. So the EU has been more progressive in terms of climate change legislation, and there are there are rules in place there. 
Um, China, the biggest BEV market in the world. Um, a lot of automakers want in on that. You know, if the, if the customer is moving toward BEV, then they need to meet the customer on on that ground, and then they need to have BEVs as well in China. So, you know, we saw Toyota. I think it was a week and a half ago come out and you know come out with stronger BEV plans. Of course, they've been you know a bit of a laggard on BEVs, and I think a lot of that goes back to China because. You know, a lot of the legacy automakers are losing market share to these startups in China that have some pretty cool new affordable um, battery electric vehicles. Yeah. And and we're going to talk with um, uh, Jordan Choby, who's the head of powertrain um, at Toyota uh, with Toyota North America. He's he's based in Ann Arbor at their tech center. Um, and so he'll he'll share, you know, shed some light on that. Now you said a few minutes ago that uh, you know there's a lot of skepticism about those target numbers that we discussed. Um, can you elaborate, kind of broadly, tell us how you see the state of the transition from uh, internal combustion engines to those targets? Well, you know, I travel a fair bit for work. I have family also. Um, out of state, I go to California, specifically in Southern California. When I'm there, there's BEVs everywhere, mostly Teslas, um, but you do see some some other uh, models. Uh, you know, so on the coastline, I'll say in California, I think it's kind of a divide that's, uh, there. there's a divide that is, you know, I think income-based. You know, if you're middle class, upper middle class, upper class, you know, you might already own a BEV or be shopping, thinking about a BEV. If, if you're lower class or lower middle class, you know, it might not be, might not be so much on your radar. And I think a lot of that has to do with cost. I mean, just in general, the cost of a new vehicle now is is pretty estimated. We're at an average price of about $50,000, you know, and then BEVs carry a premium over an internal combustion engine model. So that, you know, makes them very, I mean, I personally don't ever see myself buying a new BEV, at least at today's prices, you know, yeah. I mean, maybe, the bolt if i could get one before it goes out of production here but um there's going to be a lot of people who are left on the sidelines because they just can't afford you know they might want a bev um but they can't afford one then you have those people that could afford one but just think it's you know poison or what you know they just have a very low opinion of bevs because who knows you know they might think that they're not performance oriented or, you know, as, as exciting to drive as an internal combustion engine model. I mean, I can personally say, and I think you would agree that that is not true, that it's kind of the opposite of that. They're, they're yeah, actually... I, I was just going to say, because in terms of people's reluctance to buy, <laughs> to buy a BEV, I'm, I'm guessing that most of it has to do with convenience and the um, availability of, of infrastructure, because Nobody wants to be stuck um, w without enough power, and they don't see enough properly operating uh, rechargers, uh, you, you know, sort of out there and about. They're not as ubiquitous as, as gas stations. But in terms of performance, I don't know, have you and I driven any BEVs in the last, you know, year or two that were deficient in in performance or in you know interior quality or anything i haven't no everything has been really 
buttoned up and uh, great in terms of performance. You know, above naturally in an electric motor, you you get the immediate torque off the line. So I find actually driving bevs is is I, I find bevs to be more sporty than your average you know internal combustion engine model, especially if we're talking like a lower you know you know like a non-luxury model, something that is a mass market vehicle, lower price point. Um, yeah, there's I, there's no deficiency at all for that. Um, charging infrastructure, you know, it's still a work in progress. Um, we're getting more points, tra- charging more stations, more more ports, more connectors being installed. Obviously, the Biden administration has big plans for that going forward. Um, I don't know. I think really it it comes down in in my mind. I think it just comes down to the cost of vehicles. And then second, second to that, I think is, you know, how am I going to integrate this into my life? It's, it's a big behavior change uh, for some people to plug in their car. I mean, I can say, you know, as a Volt owner, it was no big deal to come home and, and plug in in the garage at night and, you know, pick it up, you know, take it off the, the charger in the morning and, and drive away. Um, but yeah, I was doing it at home. I wasn't going out somewhere to do it. Um, you know, I think people are creatures of habit. Most, most people like to stick with what's familiar and for, you know, the vast majority of Americans today, that's, that's a trip to the gas station. There just needs to be a lot more education on charging. So I, I happen to be driving through the Meyer park. So Meyer in here in the Midwest is a big, you know, grocery supermarket chain. Um, I had a, a pickup and there was, there's a new, well, it's a year old now. There's a chart, a fast charging station in the parking lot at, at my local Meyer. And I saw a man who looked like he had a brand new shiny Cadillac Lyric and he was, he was struggling. And I really wish I had had the time. I didn't to be able to stop him. It's kind of haunted me this week thinking about that, that could have helped him. Um, he was using, I will say he was using the card reader and in my, you know, experience going to charging stations, when I see people using the card reader, they usually have more trouble than those like me who use the app. Um, I don't know why, maybe because these things are exposed to the elements. So what we're talking about is acceptance. And I actually saw a survey recently where uh, that that is customer acceptance is the number one concern that automakers have in terms of meeting the mandates and targets. It's not battery cost. It's not supply chain. It's not anything technical. It's actually just the number one far away is are people going to buy these in the numbers that the government and policymakers want and expect and are compelling the automakers to try to fulfill. Yeah, I have to say probably not given the pace that we're going at right now um, and the and the sort of slow ramp ups we're seeing um, and the fact that, you know, other than Tesla, really bev sales are pretty you know if you take tesla out of 2023 bev sales the number is pretty is pretty low you know i was looking up um cuz i know you want to talk about pickup trucks i was looking up the f150 lightning they've sold like 5600 this year right you know that's no. that's okay but it's certainly nowhere near the 60000 internal combustion engine f150s have that have well, been sold this year well not only that but you know uh ford had a you know when they introduced it uh, you know, with the reveal, you know, they had 50, 60, 70,000 orders come in in the first like 10 days or 
yeah. two weeks or something like that. So I don't actually offhand know in terms of the 5,600 they've sold through the first uh, four months, how much of that is supply chain issues with chips and. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, that. yeah, my, my point is yeah. that they can't build very many right now. It's it's right. not so much about demand. It's it's just about how many they can get into market. Um, I think they want to go, you know, I know with Cadillac and the Lyric, you know, they've done a hundred. <laughs> it's been a year <laughs> since they've put it out and they've got a hundred out there, yeah. which is obviously a very, very low number, but they're like, you know what, GM is saying, you know what, we, we really have to dot our I's and cross our T's on this. We cannot screw this up. We got to make sure these vehicles are, are perfect when they get into the hands of the consumer. We want to make sure there's no issues. So they're going with a really, really slow ramp up. Um, and if every automaker does that, it's going to be a while. I mean, no way by 2030 are we going to see whatever, 8 million, you know, half of the industry be, um, yeah. half of new vehicle sales be BEVs. So, and then the category that I see the slowest to develop for obvious reasons is what we just talked about, full-size pickups and the larger SUVs. And this is for obvious reason because cost, I mean, at $50,000 average transaction for a lot of ICE vehicles now, um, the the cost of EVs is going to be north of that for the same same vehicles. But also the reason people buy um, the larger SUVs and full-size pickup trucks is that they're usually usually not always but usually they're carrying stuff either people uh, in the case of the big suvs you know my niece and her husband and their three boys they have a big suv and the um pickup trucks you're towing you're you've got payloads and things like that and and the you know with cost and range limitations okay on those things People aren't comfortable with the infrastructure yet. That, to me, is the class of vehicles that's going to trail, you know, the, the longest on acceptance. Do you agree? Probably, because I think just what you said, there is a belief that they're not as capable as an ICE version of a pickup truck. Uh, also, you know, it's been an engineering challenge for all. I mean, that's why they're sort of the last ones out the gate in terms of segmentation, uh, you know, vehicles to to come out that are BEVs is because it's it's a big vehicle. It's a lot of weight that's being moved. There's a lot of, you know, people that are towing, they're hauling. You've got to make sure you've got the capability to, to you know, meet their needs. Um, and obviously more batteries equals more expense. It equals more weight. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you said, yeah, $50,000. I think most of the, the F-150 lightnings I've encountered thus far, um, as, as a, you know, person who test drives these vehicles have been closer to a hundred thousand dollars. So a six figure truck, I mean, I know trucks were already moving in that direction and there are internal combustion engine full-size pickup trucks that are, you know, a hundred thousand or near a hundred thousand, but that again, there's not a lot of people out there that can afford that and then mix with the skepticism people have about the capabilities. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I definitely think it's it's going to be the slowest segment to develop in terms of uh, ICE to BEV. So one of the other things that's changing the industry, I you know, I think, is that with the uh, advance towards electrification, 
It has lowered the cost and difficulty of entry into the industry for new players. And so we're seeing, you know, after we went through this this period of 25 years where we, we, we were losing brands all the time, right? Oldsmobile, mm-hmm. Pontiac, and Saturn, and, you know, on and on and on. Plymouth, Mercury. Now we've got new companies coming in because the difficulty of entering the market is, is seems lower from a technological standpoint, from homologation issues and, and all that kind of thing. Um, we've got new brands like Lucid, VinFast, Fisker. How do you see the viability of those new players um, in terms of threatening much the established players who are also pushing towards electrification? Well, you know, if if you look at the headlines, obviously Rivian, Lucid, Fisker, they're all having woes because it's very expensive to be in the auto. It's very expensive to be an automaker. It's very expensive to launch a vehicle and do it with, you know, good quality and make sure it's reliable in the future or reliable now in terms of like the, the, uh, you know, the infotainment, the electronics, software. Um, I I can say that, you know, after having driven the Lucid Air and the Rivian R1T, these are great vehicles. You know, the, the struggles that the companies are having really have nothing to do with the quality of the vehicles. It's just that this is a very cash intense uh, <laughs> industry to be in. And it's it's very expensive to launch a vehicle to maintain, you know, that's another issue they're having is, the, you know, maintaining, you know, they've got Rivian has a giant production plant, but they're only building a fraction to a fraction of the capacity because, it takes a while to ramp up. Um, they're a small player. They don't have the economies of scale of a General Motors or a Hyundai um, in terms of, you know, like parts purchasing and component purchasing. Um, uh, you know, TBD on on all of them. But um, again, it has nothing, uh, you know, they're not struggling because the vehicles are, are not good quality vehicles or they're not well designed or, you know, they're not giving you the rain. I mean, to the contrary, the Fisker or excuse me, the... Um, the Lucid Air is one of the highest range, you know, vehicles in the in the industry. Um, but they they're also, you know, struggling because they're an unknown entity. You know, it goes, you know, you think back to like the early days of Hyundai when they entered the market, you know, everybody was like, oh, a Hyundai, I don't know about this. And then slowly but surely people started to, you know. It, it takes time, but what what we've been talking about is the consumer's slow rate of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um and they, these are all startup companies. Now, some of them are deep-pocketed, right? I mean, Lucid is backed by the Saudi right. funds and and that kind of thing. But to your point, there's a fast burn of cash, and and they don't have that much revenue coming in. No. Sales. no. So it's a very – whereas Ford and General Motors and, and the other companies, for example, they've got very profitable ICE vehicles that are essentially funding bankrolling uh, the, the this this transition period correct correct absolutely yeah so that you're right that's absolutely another that's an area where where the startups that are strictly focused on bev suffer because because they don't have that sort of cushion uh that the the traditional the legacy automakers do but you know tesla came out and, and totally changed the industry and a lot of people a lot of companies like Lucid, like Rivian, like Fisker, you know, they're trying to emulate that. Will they do it? You know, it remains to be seen. Um, 
but I'll say I'm pulling for them, you know, personally, um, yes. just speaking as an advocate of Bev's, I think they've got some really compelling products. I've not, I've not been in the Fisker ocean yet, but it looks pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Pretty, pretty sweet. You know, you, you mentioned Tesla. Let's not forget Tesla's been at this for what, 13 years, 14 years. It's been a long time. Yeah. So, and, and they have somebody in Elon Musk who, who's this bigger than life PR social media machine you, you know that and and he's he's a huge influencer with yeah. um uh so when i worked it at, at uh, with i should say in a previous life when i worked with ford and they launched the mustang Mach e uh the 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 target kind of the first wave of of target customer is identified as lovers of the new that's it's kind of a marketing term, but lovers of the new. And that lovers of the new is like a direct overlap with the Teslarati crowd. You, you know, they so yeah. but I but you can't replicate that business model. You, you know, because no, you, I, yeah. Yeah. Mary Barra is not Elon Musk and yeah. neither are the, the leaders of Rivian and 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 Lucid and uh Heinrich Fisker. Um yeah, I mean it it sort of brings up the what's the adage? There's no such thing as bad bad marketing or bad advertising or, or bad publicity. Your point about the need of a lot more education. And, and and that has to come from the companies, it has to come from the government, it has to come from policymakers, and it has to be aligned. Good luck with that. I mean, aligning education plans among all those constituents uh, and investments and, and strategies uh, is a very difficult thing to pull off. Yeah, yeah. I think some of these companies might have to go back to being, take an old school tactic, do the experiential stuff, go into a Whole Foods parking lot with your car and let people come and test it out and, you know, get some hands-on uh, experience. Um I don't know. In my mind, I think that is really, really valuable versus like reading something or watching a YouTube video. Christy, thank you so much for helping us to kick off this series of, of podcasts. I, I think you gave us a really great kind of general overview. And then in the next five episodes, we're going to drill down into specifics. We're going to have an episode on battery technology, an episode on infrastructure, which you'll be back to help us with. We're going to talk to some of the business people about managing the transition, like how how to do this right so that you don't lose your shirt in the process. Um, and we're going to talk to one of the new brands uh, that are on the scene uh, and completely dedicated to EVs, nothing else. And we're going to talk to them about the trials and tribulations and the mountains to climb, you know, that they have week to week. Uh, to make their business model work. So thanks again, Christy, and we look forward to having you back. All right. Thanks, David. When we return, we will be joined by Jordan Choby, VP of Powertrain Controls and Calibration at Toyota North America, to talk about how Toyota is managing the transition to battery electric vehicles and what we should make of recent comments by Accio Toyota. The Wards Auto Podcast is brought to you in part by Wards Events. 
Ward's Auto is proud to bring you a series of AutoTech events throughout the year and throughout the world. AutoTech Detroit 2023 in June in Novi, Michigan brings together 2,500 plus industry peers for the premier B2B networking event. It is also at this show that Ward's Auto celebrates and showcases the Ward's 10 best interiors and UX award winners. Other events in this series include Autotech Europe this November in Germany, focusing on the future of automotive in Europe and Autotech electrification this October in Novi, Michigan, delving into the electrified future of the car. Find out more at wardsauto.informa.com. We wanted to hear from an automaker that is living this transition day in and day out. And for that, we are joined by Jordan Chobie. Jordan is Group Vice President of Powertrain at Toyota North America. Jordan, thanks a lot for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me, David. So, Jordan, does the title on your business card mean that you are a key player at Toyota in planning and executing powertrains, both uh, internal combustion engine powertrains and battery powertrains? Yeah, David, that is right. And I think everything in between. So we're working on the ICE engines and transmissions, hybrid work, uh, some plug-in hybrid work, hydrogen fuel cell, and definitely growing BEV responsibility. And that's even just here in North America, while we also work very closely with our, our Japanese counterparts who are working on this, this portfolio of powertrains. And definitely, you know, it's an exciting time to be in the auto industry, especially in the powertrain world, right? The future is coming at us fast. It's changing not on one dimension, but multi-dimensionally all at the same time. So we're definitely excited to uh, grow and learn and transition through this. It's a, it's a fun time to be an engineer. Perfect. So you are living the transition and you're managing it, hopefully, so that Toyota can establish leadership in what's next, as well as focusing on earning a profit on the mix of vehicles customers are buying today. And that's what I find to be kind of the most challenging part of managing the transition is is trying to meet the mandates, trying to meet the targets, trying to meet the long range targets of Toyota. But, you know, you, you have to manage the business today based on the mm. mix of vehicles that people want today. Is that difficult? Yeah, you're right. And it definitely is difficult, right? We are in the middle of an aggressive shift. Um, right. our, our focus at Toyota has been delivering technology that meets those customer wants and needs, uh, reduces carbon, and also complies with these new regulations in that order. And we're kind of vocal about that. Um, you know, we definitely need and support aggressive but feasible plans that meet, again, many of these customer needs and market simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So last January, uh, the words of Akio Toyota got a lot of attention including from Wards, uh, when he said this, and I'm going to quote, just like the fully autonomous cars that we are all supposed to be driving by now, EVs are just going to take longer to become mainstream than media would like us to believe. Now, that's an end quote. I'd like to push back a little bit on the idea that the media is leading that charge because as part of the media, uh, I don't sense that we're trying to push an agenda, we are covering the policymakers and the automakers 
and covering what they're saying, occasionally checking them on sort of feasibility and, and accuracy. But um, uh, so, how do you how do you view this, and how should we view Akio Toyota's comments? Like, how should we read them in terms of Toyota's policy and approach going forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fair comment, David. So we see that uh, BEV is growing, and it's growing more rapidly than any other powertrain technology has done before in the automotive segment, and that's exciting. Um, we recently launched two of our two new BEVs, our first two, the Toyota BZ4X and Lexus RZ, and we're committed to introduce up to 30 new BEV models by 2030. And we recently also announced that we're working to pull ahead the speed of those plans, with a goal of launching 10 new models by 2026 globally. At the same time, we're, we're investing in our new North Carolina battery plant. There's 5.6 billion invested there. So we're under construction and ramping up. But as you mentioned, right, this, this pace that's being um, worked out here and proposed is fast, it's aggressive. Um, so ramping up for us is, is one thing, but hitting targets like the uh, two thirds of all new cars are BEV by 2032, like uh, was recently announced by the administration. Uh, Again, this is for the entire country. This is another level of challenge. Um, You know, this doesn't mean that we have to sell, for example, one BEV to every home in the US. It means we need to reach levels where both cars in family households are BEV from California to Montana, Texas, Michigan, right? So it really is a tall task. Mm-hmm. And we, we do have some concerns that this pace um, likely exceeds customer demand, especially as we hit these, these high targets. So we do have great programs in place that we, we're very much appreciative of. The IRA supports this growth. Um, but we do need to keep working through the bottlenecks, uh, such as charging infrastructure, again, battery, raw material, and processing capability at large scale here in North America to be successful. So now we're focusing, of course, on making the products, but also working uh, collaboratively with the industry and government to improve these bottlenecks so we can move forward quickly. Okay. So I, I want to stay with Akio Toyota's words for just one more uh, you know, mo- moment here. He says that we would do better uh, to increase hybrids and plug-in hybrids before we go into trying to meet uh, you know, full-on electric uh, mandate. I don't disagree that the notion, uh, as the owner of the second hybrid I've had myself, uh, I don't disagree with them on paper. And I think, uh, I happen to think that all vehicles getting below 35 miles per gallon today should, uh, with an ICE engine, should become hybrids or plug in hybrids. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that we we have had plug in hybrids that simply did not sell very well. And some of the customer research done after they were purchased found that um, a lot of them weren't even, you know, regularly recharging the batteries to take advantage of the electric only range. So how are you viewing the, 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 the marketplace? There's the rational approach, which says, you know, we should have a lot more hybrids, a lot more plugins. Uh, just because that'll that'll be an easier glide path and transition for consumers versus the BEV mandates to just skip over that because the marketplace has kind of already spoken on plug-in hybrids. 
Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And it's one that we're, we're thinking a lot about, right? So if our goal is to improve the environment and reduce carbon creation, right, aligned with like a Paris agreement, then hybrids really are a valuable tool today. So what Toyota is doing is we are accelerating our BEVs to have that great long-term carbon reduction benefit. But at the same time, today, we can reduce significant amounts of carbon created with hybrids and the plugins we offer. So this is kind of our, our one-two punch, right, of carbon reduction now while we accelerate uh, BEVs or ZEVs. And Toyota is capable of doing that, right, in North America and globally. The other point that often comes up about the hybrid PHEV, BEV discussion um, is, again, when we refer to the environment, we believe that um, being good stewards of natural resources is important, right? And battery material is a natural resource. So efficient use of batteries and battery material, we believe is important. Just as reference, we've shared this uh, statistic before, but one BEV battery can make six PHEVs or 90 hybrids. So right? Incorporating that thinking way into our portfolio approach is, is what we're working on. So what this looks like for us is we do have a goal to sell 3.5 million EVs by 2030. Mm-hmm. And again, we're in the process of accelerating that timeline, as I mentioned before, towards the 1.5 million EVs by 2026 globally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, has there been... Um... Has there been any upheaval in your product planning to account for the development of EVs, for example, like on a new dedicated EV platform rather than trying to convert existing architectures to to BEVs? Yeah, I don't think I'd maybe use the word upheaval, but definitely a lot of deep engineering, manufacturing, we'll call it strategic discussions, right, to set that correct path. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our first EVs in North America, again, the, the BZ and the RZ, those are on our um, ETNGA platform. This is a conversion platform to support that, you know, speed the market. But th- that platform is still quite capable of making a great BEV vehicle. But we, like um, others, are also actively investigating right, the long-term strategies for platform development to achieve that like, next level range performance, for example, or manufacturing efficiencies. So this is definitely ongoing. We, I, I do believe over the long term, Maybe all BEVs will be an optimized BEV platform, again, long-term. So then it kind of feels like we need to move in that direction as these volumes increase. So um, I, I imagine that you have some meetings with the, the policy folks at Toyota, the people who are kind of in, in Washington on Capitol Hill and 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 uh, part, part of that process. I'm just wondering, has, has there been – what did they tell you about any productive conversations – about you know looking this looking at this more as a portfolio approach than a bev dominated approach of having you know is the EPA in any way open to looking at this as a broader portfolio of hybrids plug-ins and uh, full-on electrics and hydrogen mm-hmm yeah, we, we actively um, support discussions primarily to share the information we have on the benefit of the portfolio approach, right? Again, the carbon reduction, the customer alignment, um, to just share that, that benefit that we see. And again, how we can support that carbon reduction as we transition to this larger, this larger ratio um, of ZEV vehicles. So we're actively, um, again, supporting and sharing data to support those discussions with, uh, with uh, the DC folks. Toyota is also a marketing company, and so not just an engineering and, and product company. 
and I know that you're an engineer and I, but uh, I feel like you probably in meetings where this is discussed mm. and that is what is the challenge in exactly in this more uh, portfolio approach where you had a lot more, you know, what if, if we had more high, if there were more hybrids in the marketplace, if there were more plug-in hybrids, if the uh, administration, you, you know, kind of used the bully pulpit to push hybrid, more hybrids and plug-ins, you know, kind of leading into, uh, uh, you know, a, a mostly BEV marketplace, you know, well into the next decade. It, it, it's a marketing challenge more than anything because we have the technology, right? Well, I think um, you're right. You know, I'm, I'm coming at it from an engineer's perspective, not in a, a lot of marketing meetings. Um, but I, th I think a portfolio approach, you know, it has a lot of a lot of positive points that we can build upon, right? We're not starting from scratch. We have a long history. I think we've already sold, if my memory serves me correct, maybe 5.2 million hybrids in North America alone already. It's about 25% of our current sales. So we're not starting from scratch. We're building upon momentum we have in the hybrid space. Our plug-in hybrids build right on top of our hybrid um, technology developments, development scenarios. And then we're also just leveraging that knowledge capability we have internally to do BEVs. So we kind of stack those on top of each other. So for us, again, there's a lot of pros again for us and customer to, to offer this, these options to customers. Okay. So let's talk about those targets uh, that, that you, uh, that you mentioned earlier in terms of mix, then uh, 20, 30 models or six years away. What do you think the Toyota mix looks like in the U S as well as globally, if you're if you're sort of carving the pie into ICE hybrid, plug-in hybrid, EV, and hydrogen fuel cell, I can share a little bit of uh, some of our goals and, and targets. Um, again, kind of setting the baseline right now. As I mentioned, maybe twenty-five percent of our current sales are hybrid and plug-in, so that electrified. Um, those are mostly, I think, two-thirds of all of our vehicles sold in North America coming from our 14 manufacturing facilities here in the North America. So that's our, our current situation. As we move towards that 2030 goal, right, of 3.5 million BEVs globally, that would roughly be one-third of a global volume. So it might be it might break down differently region by region, but that's kind of a, a starting point I can share. And then as we grow that BEV, again, we're also expanding the other electrified options in parallel. Um, so potentially up to 70% of that, that global lineup could be electrified. When you say electrified, that's hybrid. That's all that's hybrid plug-in hybrid Bev. And that's hybrid. right. That's okay. right. All come all combined. Yep. But, but you can't for 20, for 2030 though, you, you can't tell me kind of percentage wise, you know, kind of global, how that's going to break down by those individual categories. Yeah. Sorry. Only, I only have maybe with me the, the macro level kind of goals and targets, but not the, the detail breakdown at this time. I think it's interesting that we are seeing full-size pickups being one of the first segments to be electrified in this new era. Uh, after all, I think it may be the toughest segment in which to gain acceptance from that target customer. Pickup truck buyers are, are finicky, more so than other segments, I think. 
But already we've got the Ford Lightning. GM, of course, is soon to be out with the Silverado and Sierra as uh, fully electrics. The Ram uh, 1500 will be out, I believe, by early next year. How about Tundra? I know that back in the 2021 Shanghai Auto Show, there was an announcement of uh, fully electric trucks or a truck from Toyota. Uh, the latest announcements out of Japan referenced a truck without being specific about Tundra. Right now, we just launched Tundra. So we already electrified Tundra with the uh, one motor hybrid system. Then we're actively, again, discussing the further electrification of uh, many, if not all, of our products, right? So, um, again, with uh, our CEO, Sato Sun's recent announcement, he showed some examples of the 10 new BEV models coming that cover a range of vehicle segments. So actively investigating, right, what's the right product, right time for BEV. Mm -hmm. So the Tundra that you just talked about, that's 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 a hybrid, yes? That's right. We launched um, just, I think it was last year, right, mm -hmm. the new Tundra. There's a conventional V6 Turbo 10AT, then the uh, strong hybrid. It's a one-motor system linked to the V6 Turbo 10AT. Okay. And as far as those, uh, uh, what they've talked about out of Japan, then, uh, I'm sorry, I, I may have missed it, but was one of the EV, one, one of the BEVs uh, a truck? Um, I believe there's a, a range. I think they they highlighted potentially um, some size truck. I think it wasn't specific to a, a Tundra, just for example. But um, yeah, they're starting to share a little bit more information about what could come in the future. Okay. Well, listen, Jordan, thank you very much for joining us. You've uh, helped us helped us out a lot. I know the, the words of uh, Akio Toyota definitely resonated through the industry um, because there's a lot of opinions about pace right. and mix and timing and things like that, and you've helped to, uh, to clear some things up for us. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Great. David. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on episode one of the Wards Auto Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and I hope that you will join us for each of the next five episodes we are doing on different topics related to the transition of the auto industry from the internal combustion engine to electrification. I want to thank Christy Schweinsberg from Wards Intelligence and Jordan Choby from Toyota for joining us on this first episode. In upcoming episodes, we will be talking to industry leaders and ward zone analysts about the infrastructure issues, managing the transition from uh, an operations and investment standpoint. We are going to talk to the head of one of the EV startups as well about the trials and tribulations of getting a new company and plant off the ground. So please subscribe to the Wards Auto Podcast on your favorite podcast serving platform, whether that be Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, etc. That way you'll know when a new episode drops and it will help us bring you more insights and episodes in the future. I'm David Kiley, Senior Content Editor at Wards Auto. Until next time.